Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson, who's fighting through an injury right now. He's coming to you despite some debilitating pain. That's that's the that's the that's the dedication we've come to expect from you. I am on the injured reserve right now. Yeah. It's I can type for about eight minutes and then I get to get up and walk around and then I can type for eight minutes. Yeah, it's fun. Anyone out there, orthopedic surgeon that wants to call me up, really talk. I got stenosis, like hitting a different part of my spine. It's so fun. It's constant pain. Yeah. yeah. Are you at the point now where you would like prefer like spinal removal and just be kind of jelly like? Or... I don't get. I don't understand why whoever made the human body, whether you think that's God or whatever, why the hell did they layer it full of uh, all of the you know nerves? Why do we have all of that? It in seems our like spine? a mistake. It seems like a mistake. A real mistake. I mean, you've got these spine it, when it starts breaking down and it's arthritic and whatever, it just starts hitting all the nerves just to what drive everyone crazy. Yeah, and it's Every- not like it's enough nerves to be like a second brain unless the other one fails. Like it's <laughs> it's just a it's an annoying a number of nerves. Don't get it. Don't yeah. don't understand that whole structure at all. Makes yeah. no sense. Really poorly designed. Yeah, yeah, no, we're we're gonna so all right, that's gonna be one of the off season broadcasts is definitely just an anatomical critique of the human body. How about knees? What no, knees, hell? absolute crap. Knees? Absolute garbage. Oh my God. What about shoulders? Can we just talk about shoulders for a little bit? Shoulders. Yeah. Shoulders. Every, so many parts of the human body, it's like, what were you thinking? Yeah. What were I, you thinking? This, did, this didn't need to be a socket. Like that, no. 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 You could have done a this socket. differently. Yeah, so it just grinds and grinds. Yeah, no, and, and you need, need a certain amount. A... You need a certain amount of like that cartilage stuff or else it's just completely screwed. Like at some point it's just bone on bone. Who wants that? Nobody wants that. And your knee, it's it's your femur and your what's the other one? That's connected by just this tibia thing that's a tibia. It's just connected by a bunch of straps. I know. It's just a bunch of just a bunch of bands. That's all it is. That break it's, all the time. That like, break. That snap. Even when you're young. What is that? <laughs> oh no. It's just it's amazing our whole species. I mean, even with how you think we're intelligent, we're stupid. It's amazing our species has lasted this long. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Other than um, that, let's talk about more <laughs> happier things. Yeah, like UCLA sports. Oh, I didn't think we were going to talk about UCLA. Oh yeah, we got to do that again. Back. Have you ever noticed how many people on the board are? I have to admit, everyone's pretty funny in their depression. I think there, honestly, it's one of it's been one of my favorite times on the board, just generally, because I think everyone is approaching it with real gallows humor. Yeah, yeah, there is some definite gallows. There is. It's it's pretty funny. So we've got um, a long list of gallowsy type things to talk about, actually. Today. Yeah, we don't ha- we don't have much to back you away from the cliff, and we apologize ahead of time. No, but what we will talk about is, uh, you know, some stuff that. Maybe it won't drive you fully over the cliff, right? I'm I'm hoping not, Dave. I'm, new year, new would, us. Would, new year, would, new us. New us, new us. Can you hear just the joy in our voice as I stand and can sit as I do this podcast? Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. All right. Okay. Um, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Um, uh, Tracy, among, I think you and Bolch pretty much had it. Uh, Chris Murray um, entering the transfer portal. 
um, sophomore guard this past year, was going to be a true junior, um, had started, had played, had had been here for 24 games, and had started 24 games on the offensive line for UCLA, uh, was one of four projected returning starters for next year, and is now transferring. Um, this, so this, this sort of... Is that bad, Dave? It's bad. <laughs> to me, it feels like one of those things that's... Um, like in and of itself, not disaster level, but as like a bellwether for the program, it feels like, oh, wow, this is one of the weirdest and worst things to happen to Chip Kelly at UCLA so far. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny because there's interesting sides to it. Uh, from what I've heard about it, and I really can't give a lot of details uh, for various reasons, um, personal, want to protect sources, things. You could say the fact that that Chris Murray's leaving isn't directly Chip Kelly's fault. It's not like, hey, I hate you, Chip, I'm out, or yep. I hate you, Justin Fry, I'm out. But like we've been saying, you know, Dave, you and I are not geniuses. We're pretty smart guys, but we're not geniuses, and we're just guys who work in the internet. But we've been doing this a while, so we kind of we kind of learn something. And what we've learned is you have to over-recruit offensive line and defensive line because guys don't develop. For some reason, they get hurt more, or they just leave or something. No matter – the hit rate on offensive linemen is really low. And when this staff came into Westwood, the first thing is, you know, they – what would have been their reaction when they not only looked at the depth chart, but they walked out to that first spring practice and went, holy hell. Uh, what do we have here? So they should have immediately, like we've been saying, found five JC linemen who could come in and give them two years and then over-recruited the high school ranks. And they've been very selective. So while it might not be directly, culp- like they're not directly culpable with the fact that Chris Murray is leaving, the fact that the depth is so thin behind him is their fault i think yeah and and that's the issue well and and that's what i keep coming back to it's it's twofold for me in any individual case there are always going to be extenuating circumstances right like there's always going to be a reason and that reason isn't always related directly to who the head coach is um right but when you're looking at it first roster management has been a major failure. It's been probably the thing we've cited the most. And that encompasses both recruiting and allowing so many guys to transfer out and not managing APR very well, like all that stuff that's included in roster management, you know, not having enough guys at certain positions and continuing to just recruit in a reactive way. Oh, we need 11 linebackers. Let's get 11 linebackers. Oh, we need 11 offensive linemen. Let's get, you know what I mean? It's reactive. No, it's pro- not- no projection, no ability to look and say, hey, we're going to lose seven linebackers next year. Next year, we should get some guys in at least a year ahead of time. There's, yeah. Exactly. Isn't there, haven't we talked about this? Isn't there some disease that you only literally, you only react to literally what's in front of you and you you have no anticipatory skill at all? Yeah, I think it's called stupidity. Okay, Um, there we go. Yeah, I think that's the one. It's when you can't like foresee even like a single move ahead. Yes. Yeah, like not no ability to project the future in any realistic way. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, it could be called many different things, I imagine. 
Um, okay. But that's one element of it. Like just the general roster management, this is another part of why that has been a failure. The second part is more specific to Chip and the strategy that they've used to this point, which is from the beginning, their recruiting strategy has been pitched as something different. It's all about finding fit. It's all about finding guys who are going to be program guys. Um, this is one of the like headliner recruits in Chip Kelly's um, first full class, and he is transferring out after two years. That's, I mean, you're you're saying then that he was not a fit for the program. If he transferred out as a grad transfer, then he's you know potentially still a fit. But he's transferring out and is going to have to redshirt a year. He won't be able to play next year more than likely. Um, this is, I mean, that's that's an indictment of the strategy itself. You know, this whole thing we're going to be better about you know finding. Guys who aren't going to transfer out, guys who are going to be a fit for the program and be long-term development guys. Well, I don't know. I'll have to look at their rates of it right now, but I don't think it's been like excessively fewer um, transfers out of the guys he's actually recruited. Yeah, and I agree with uh, with the theory is try to find good, solid fits for UCLA. I agree it's a good idea. I'm just saying they didn't execute it. But well, even if you did execute that, you still have to compensate that among eighty-five scholarship guys, there are still going to be some guys that end up not. You 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 can't know exactly what quality of person or personality quirks or what's going to happen when a kid gets in your program, especially when you're recruiting him and you're complimenting him. You're you know blowing wind up his skirt if he wears a skirt, um, and that's fine. So, you know, yeah, what? that's fine. Not that there's anything wrong with that. One of our fam- one of our uh, former uh, you know favorite assistant coaches you know wore a skirt for formal occasions. He did, he did, but I don't want to talk about that. It's conjuring up kind of strange images in my mind. Um, Why are they so... strange, Tracy? Are they strange because <laughs> they excite you? <laughs> did you ever see? Okay, I'm I'm tangenting. Didn't didn't you ever see the one? Um, I think we talked about this too. The one tweet by a former subscriber who hates me like he was mostly from basketball but he uh photoshopped a picture of that coach and myself like snuggling in bed bare-chested and it said coach i can't quit you (laughs) what do you what do you mean he photoshopped it (laughs) okay dave i was trying to cover up and you just I was going to say you exposed me, but I yeah. would just be getting in deeper. Right. Oh, and there it goes again. Um, oh. <laughs> where did I go? Where did we veer away? Um, we talked oh, about yeah. blowing stuff up good... skirts. Right. <laughs> now, yeah. So, yeah, no, you're not going to find 85 perfect fits. It's just, it's just not realistic. You're going to have to, even if you pull it off, and you do pretty well, and you're getting a lot of guys who are fits, like let's say you increase the percentage of fits compared to the last coaching staff, there's still going to be guys that aren't going to fit, and they're going to transfer out. And I mean, which is part of roster management, is acknowledging right. that truth. And they yes. have recruited as if they have, well, not 85, but whatever, the 71 guys who are all going to stick around. Um, that's been basically their modus operandi with recruiting. Um, which is just a bad way to function. No matter who you are, no matter what program you are, there's going to be a level of attrition every single offseason. And by attrition, I mean guys leaving with eligibility left um, where they could have stayed. 
um, and they did but, not. They chose not to. And already that's hit in, I, I don't know, I, I don't know what the exact count is, but including NFL draft departures, it's five or six right now, I think, if you include Theo Howard as well. Yes. And and let's just focus on the offensive line for 2020. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's do that. Like I wrote in a story a couple of weeks ago, not that it's really deep, but I feel I feel okay at tackle. Um, they have three playable tackles for two positions. Okay, we'll mm-hmm. take that. Um, now with the loss of Chris Murray, they have um, they have uh, three positions and maybe one you know guy who we would call playable, and he's going to be a. 275 pound true sophomore among three positions. Yeah. So Siali Liku will be a redshirt freshman. He, he's, he's obviously going to step in and probably start maybe at that left guard spot. And then right guard, John, John Gaines, Gaines. <laughs> John Gaines or the former walk-on Sam Marazzo is center and Duke Clemens plays guard. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is not a good, and, and again, there are injuries in football, <laughs> and a lot happen on the offensive line. So, I mean, maybe some of those young guys, Josh Carlin or Bo Taylor, or you know, will step up and be able, and be players. You know, compete for a starting spot. But I'm kind of doubtful because of just our evaluations of them coming out of high school, and that Ciala Lico is a true freshman, and from what I've heard, jumped ahead of them. So. You'd have to look at grad transfers as a potential answer. And UCLA is kind of in a corner when it comes to grad transfers. I mean, this I don't know how else to say it without this really sounding highly negative, but what offensive lineman who's good, who could come in and start at UCLA – why would he transfer to play at UCLA for a senior year? Like the the kid from Vanderbilt, he's going to go play at Clemson or yeah. Alabama or Georgia. Well, and that's, that's where he's going to go. And I think why people, would I? Yeah. Sorry. When this grad transfer thing started to happen, which was at like the tail end of Good Mora, um, you saw a lot of the higher profile grad transfers, that, you know, really looking strongly at UCLA. But that was related to UCLA being constantly talked about as a dark horse national title contender in the offseason. Like that was right. that was the reason yeah. they were getting that attention from the high profile guys. It's not just because guys right. wanted to be at UCLA. The grad transfer market is generally, especially at the highest levels, guys who want to go play for a contender. Um, because these are guys who are good a lot of times. They're guys who already have a pretty good profile for the NFL draft. They're going because they want to win something and also get even more national attention. It's usually one of two things. It's someone who's playing at a lesser program who's very good, who wants to go play for a national championship, get more exposure. Or it's someone who wasn't very good. He was kind of a a journeyman backup who had been passed over and wasn't getting playing time and wants to go find a place to play that he can play at his level. Now, occasionally... You know, there, there's someone like from last year, the defensive end outside linebacker, Jason Harris, who was playing at Southern Illinois, who 
wanted to play at a at a higher a little bit higher level, but he's not going to go in and play at Clemson. So he found a place in UCLA and he contributed. Yeah. I mean, that's that's about the best case scenario for a grad transfer. So I don't know if you're going to have you're going to have offensive linemen grad transfers that are come in and, and be starters and be good. I mean, they might be starters because there's no one else, but that's what it seems to be that so many fans and I understand are looking at grad transfers in almost this mystic panacea to solve the problems. And I don't, it would be, it would be against the odds if you found a grad transfer offensive lineman who's going to come in and be better than everyone else at that position and start. Yeah. And I mean, Depth. That's what you'd be looking for, right? Playable depth. Well, no, the reality is, the reality is that's what you're looking for. And the reality is that person's going to start anyway, I think. Because looking at this group, there are, I mean, to your point, three proven quantities. Sean Ryan, Duke Clemens, and Jake Burton. And by proven quantities, I mean have played and haven't like been a disaster when they're playing. I'll throw Alec Anderson in there. I think when he's played... He he has not been a disaster. Okay, but okay, fine. And but he's a backup tackle. Um, like I don't think he's a guard. I mean, I know he played some this year, but well, regardless, they'll probably end up playing him there. Um, yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But we haven't seen Duke Clemens at center, which is you know certainly something to think about. I mean, he's he's played guard since he's been here, so he's going to be transitioning to a new position and one of the most critical positions on the line. Um, but beyond that, I mean, what probably concerned me the most this year with the offensive line, not even the depth so much as the regression. Um, we saw yeah. a number of guys regress from the previous year. I think by the end of the year, it was telling that the two true freshmen were arguably the best offensive linemen. Um, you know, Boss Tagaloa, I thought, took a step back. Chris Murray, I thought, took a big step back. And Jake Burton wasn't even the same kind of player we saw in the spring. Now, obviously, translating spring to actual games is tough, especially on the offensive line. But the regression on the offensive line was the worrying sign for me. Because, again, going back to the pitch, the the Chip Kelly roster pitch, which is, yeah, we might get some lower tier guys, but we're going to really develop them. We're going to use the sports science. We're going to use all of these techniques to really churn out, you know, developed guys. Um I didn't see that this year on the offensive line. I saw true, true, the two true freshmen who hadn't been in the program actually outplaying the other guys who didn't even play as well as they did the previous year. Um, that's my concern on the offensive line, more even than the depth, which is not good. Uh, but I think there are two competing concerns here. Right. I, I think uh, I'll, I, I know they've they're interested made contact i don't know the extent like uh there's a michigan grad transfer steven spinellis um he he played some at at michigan he wasn't uh a all-time starter i think he played he played in 36 games and mostly on special teams did play you know a dozen games on the offensive line he might you know he's not starting at michigan but maybe he could come in and and start and start at UCLA. I mean, that's where we are. I mean, that's the kind of guy that UCLA fans should be looking to for offensive line grad transfers. 
Yeah. So. Well, especially since they'll be running the triple option next year, Tracy. <laughs> God, people were having a lot of fun with that. I was having a lot of fun with that. So uh, the, the, <laughs> the news out there is that Chip Kelly was visiting Navy this year. And the obvious... This, like the obvious, this week, yesterday. Yeah, sorry, yeah, this week. Uh, the obvious thing is when you're looking at um, what Navy did this year, their defense improved a ton. Um, but when you think about Navy, when you're just sitting there thinking, ah, oh, Navy or any service academy, you're thinking, ah, oh, triple option. So Chip Kelly right. deciding to go over there and visit. Um, you know, it's a little bit fun to think about UCLA, you know, dropping its talent level down a little bit and then suddenly running a service academy offense. Wouldn't that be not cool? That when, not that when I put that up and I knew maybe in the back of my mind if I had said he was there just to kind of observe, you know, defensive scheme and tactics, that if I didn't put it up, people might start running with that triple option idea and stuff. And then I, I waited a few hours. Not that I did that intentionally at all. It was fun. Right. I Thanks. had a good time with it. Yeah, I mean, coaches do that. You know, they go around, there's someone on the staff they know or they don't, and they heard this one, this you know, one uh, defense did so much better in what they were doing schematically. So you go and you, you go and talk to the staff. You look at some film. You see if there's some things you want to incorporate into your scheme. That's, I mean, coaches do that, but especially Chip Kelly. He does do that a lot. He does. He goes do to it. like a... A high school seminar. <laughs> yeah, he really does. Yeah, and I, I yeah. don't have. I, honestly, even if he was going to check out the offense, I don't really have a ton of problems with it. Whatever. No. Yeah, go yeah. learn some stuff. Not That's fine. Um, yeah. The uh, the int- honestly, I mean, tan- tangenting off that, but um, Rocky Long deciding to basically quit San Diego State, which was all very strange. Um, I kind of know. I kind of heard what's happened. Um, uh, San Diego State, uh, just to lay the groundwork, doesn't have a lot of money when it comes to their football program. I mean, they they don't have a lot necessarily in resources. They don't pay their staff a lot. Um, he had, you know, what did they go? Did they go ten and three Something this like year? That. They always something like games. that. Yeah, they they were really successful. The offense wasn't very good though, and I, I think he he gets some pressure from the from their athletic department that maybe he's starting to spend too much money on some of his assistants. And I think Rocky just said, okay, well, screw it. (laughs) I'm out. If you're not going to let me have the guys or you say we can't afford the guys that, and you're going to force me to make changes, I'm out. So I think that's what had with what happened with him. I'm always thinking whenever I think about Rocky long, that hiring Carl Durrell and, was it 2003? 2003. Uh, Rocky was at New Mexico, correct? And just starting out. But we all knew him at UCLA because he was the best defensive coordinator pretty much UCLA had had in recent memory. They had just made that hire, been able to see the potential talent as a head coach. Where would where would we be right now? Probably on like a fifteen year run of of decent to very good football. Probably Dan Guerrero would have a good overall. You'd say his one bad hire was would have been Steve Alford, but everything else you would have signed off on. Well, wow! I mean, it, if you think about it in specific, um, think about the talent on defense that was there in two thousand three. 
I mean, I think we're still talking Spencer Havner, uh, the Ball Brothers, um, Brandon Chalar, I think, was still on that team, maybe. But they, I mean, they had yeah, some God. dudes still on that team. Um, running a, like a real Rocky Long defense instead of whatever garbage, like, what's-his-face was or um, soon-to-be Larry Kerr was running. Like, I yeah. don't know, man. I mean, I, that, that makes me upset because those were my first years as a student. But, yeah, I mean, it, obviously that. But for me, I mean, he's still got some gas in the tank. Come on, take a take a Rocky Long for a spin. <laughs> How old is our is our boy? He's got to be seventy he's six, something, he, right? He's sixty nine. Sixty nine. Nice. Just just look at his look what he's done at San Diego State. This is amazing. Eight and five, nine and four, eight and five, seven and six, eleven and three, eleven and three, ten and three. Damn. Then seven and six, then ten and three. Yeah. Holy crap. Seriously, four of the last five seasons, he's won at least 10 games and two were 11 11 win seasons. Yeah. At San Diego State, that's amazing. As I said, without the facilities, without without the money, it's Without an offense for most of that time, too. I mean, really, like, did not have an offense. Um, No, he's a good coach um, and runs a damn good defense. Damn good defense. Should we have just a moment of silence? <laughs> just damn. of what could of what could have been. Damn good, damn fun defense. Ah, deep sigh, deep sigh, deep sigh. Um. Okay, so that is. You got anything else football wise you want to talk about? Uh. Well, yeah, I could segue to Rocky Long. You'd think he might be a candidate for that oh. Washington State job. Oh boy! Oh boy! Because your your boy is now far away, Dave. Mike Leach made his way to Mississippi State. He's hanging out with Ben Halland down in Stark Vegas. Damn, that would be a great dinner. A few drinks, go out with those two guys. Ooh, That'd be boy. fun. Ooh, it would be something. That could have been what we had at UCLA too. Those two guys. Yeah. If they had hired. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's interesting because you've got two like I don't know. I mean, you were around Ben more, but not much of a public sense of humor. Certainly more in private. And then Leach, who's got that kind of deadpan thing going on, but is also like Halland, generally a good person. Leach, you know, not so much. Kind of you know likes to rip on his players in public and blame them for losses and gets kind of bitchy. So I don't know. I don't know if they're really a fit together. I think no, not a fit, not a fit at all. Ben Ben is. <laughs> I would I would pay money to just get in the room to watch Ben talk to Mike Leach. That would that would be fun. I'm Ben. You know Ben's good at. Ben has a bad rap. Ben. In person, Ben can be fairly personable. I mean, oh, yeah. He, yeah. So, except when he did that close talking and like kind of grabbed your shoulder. Yeah, you know that. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. liked to do that. The intimate <laughs> moments where Ben was with Ben were not good. <laughs> I liked him, Dave. <laughs> Don't take away those moments. Uh, I know. I know. They were. They were. They were right up there with uh, your. Uh, your. Your, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to like be a secret Mississippi State football fan now? I mean, I don't think I can do you that. You kind of have a thing for this guy. Well, you do, so right? no, 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 I've got, I've got, 
I've got two warring things. One, I think he's a damn good football coach, and I'm really interested to see what he does with like even a little bit more talent, which he should get at, at Mississippi State just from like a literal geographic standpoint. Um, but I think he's a real piece of crap, like just kind of generally. So yeah. I don't really. I, I think it's a loss for the league um, from like a coaching standpoint. But I don't really get into the whole like Mike Leach is so funny thing. I mean, he's just he's he's like a dumb, crazy uncle. Like that's just who he is. Um, I I completely agree, one hundred percent. But so as a coach, get- as a coach, I mean, I think he's pretty close to top notch, and I think he's going to do well there. Some of our posters on our site made a lot of sense. I mean, right now, Washington State is built for an air raid, air raid offense. That, that's the personnel they have. If you go in there and you try to put in any other kind of offense, it, it is going to be a five-year rebuild, if you can even do it. So the smartest move would be to hire a guy who's really – that can just come in and plug in the air raid, someone like Graham Harrell maybe? <laughs> Yeah, why you, I mean, why, that would, why that, are you giggling? Why? Why? I, I think that would be good. I don't. So the thing that Harold runs isn't the leech air raid. I don't even know if there's somebody who's actually running the pure leech air raid anymore. But um, the personnel would lend itself better to that than anything that's pro style or even just like a Mazzoni spread. I mean, it would still lend itself. Better. I'm amazed you haven't. Okay, I'm giving away one of Dave's big secrets that. Any, everyone doesn't know, but he trolls USC fans, and I'm amazed you haven't tweeted that out yet. You know, I'm in I'm in my dormancy period. Like this okay. is this is when I like don't actually hit the trolling that hard. I, I like to bring it on occasions. Right now, you know, I'm just kind of I'm picking and choosing my spots. It's not this, it, would, this it, would be a pretty good one to pick and choose. I'm yeah, thinking you're probably right. I probably missed my window. You know, nah, nah. Right after Windows. the news, that's the time to. Trying to hit, hit hit him across the bow with that one. Windows windows wide open right now while Washington State flounders around trying. Maybe to I'll fire off a tweet while we're talking. Who knows? Yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, yeah, so Leach is out. It'll be interesting to see who they hire. Graham Harrell would obviously be a home run, I think, for them. Because um, looking at their history of hiring, it's it's a lot of a lot of bust, 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 and then boom. Um, so Leach was, I think, probably going to go down as like their second best coach ever. Something like that. Yeah. So, After Mike Price. Yeah. <laughs> or Bill Doba, <laughs> I guess. Um, whatever. Some some random guy who never coached anywhere else. Mike um, Price, still one of the best stories. Oh, man, we, that story. How, how long was he hired? How long was he hired? Was it like a couple of days? If that? And and he was in, he was fired because he was in a hotel room with some unidentified woman and she was ordering room service or something like that. Yeah, it was like I don't even crazy. Got, what was the scandal? It was It was a beautiful scandal. I think that's yeah, he was in a hotel room. Okay. Because he was seen at a strip club. No, that oh, was yeah. the main issue. Right, at the strip club, right. And he had, and it came on the heels of an earlier reprimand for visiting campus area bars and drinking into the early hours in Tuscaloosa. Like, a what man, a guy! What a time that that got a guy fired. Well, one thing. Wait, wait, wait. So you're getting hired at Alabama, and 
you don't even you can't even help yourself. You don't even give yourself six so months actually, before it, you start it was diving. it but it was actually five or six months later. Like he was oh, hired was. in December oh, and it was wow. May when it happened. Wow, what discipline the guy had. I mean, maybe a couple of years before you dive into the strip bar scene in Tuscaloosa. It's the right? off season. You're getting like coaches all like if they're gonna get wild and crazy doing it in the off season, who cares? I'll tell you, too, back in the day, which I hate that saying, but I don't know Alex to describe it. When I first started doing this, you know, there were, if you went to uh, the recruiting events in Las Vegas in late July, and there were, you know, three huge events, every coach, basketball coach in the United States was in Las Vegas that last week in July. And they, so many assistant coaches and, and a number of head coaches this is all before really cell phones and you know social media. Obviously, they there there were a lot of coaches that were at strip bars. Not that I was there and I could see them personally, but I just heard. Yeah, no, you heard tell through the grapevine. Yeah. Then as soon as those cell phones started to proliferate, <laughs> no one was showing up. the The strip bar business just fell out. In well, late the July. thing is, I mean, like Price, I mean, he's old dog, you know, tough to teach him new <laughs> tricks. He was 56 when he was at Alabama. Like, he'd already been doing that in the offseason for like 25 years. Give the man a break. Come on. Okay, so. What's so wrong bar, with going to a strip club? Come on. He was in a strip bar for several several, several hours, spending hundreds of dollars on drinks, private dance, private dances, tips for dancers. The next morning, an unidentified woman charged nearly $1,000 a hotel room service on the coach's credit. So he's a generous guy? Uh, oh, God. That's, that's still one of my best. Just the image. Because if you know what Mike Price looks like, he looks like <laughs> he looks like kind of what? Your grand, your uncle from yeah, he's just, your I mean, he's, uncle? He's, he's like a million, you know, tubby older white guys. Like that's just who he is. Yeah, he's he's yeah. he's your uncle. Um, ah, well, that was a trip down memory lane. Do you know his middle name is Bruce? Yeah. Bruce. That's, wow, it's such a I, weird I really middle learned, name for me. I learned something today. Yeah, Dave, thanks. Yeah, I Damn. like to give him. I like to drop those little nuggets of knowledge every now and then. I feel fulfilled. All uh, right, we should talk basketball uh, football. now. Football, yeah, football's done. Yeah, football's I don't mean, done. I mean, just in this. I mean, podcast. we mean it in a lot of senses, but right now we mean it. It's we're done talking about it. Um, uh, you can tell that we're more optimistic about the basketball program merely because it's it is Mick Cronin's first year. Yeah. Um, and they've shown signs. They're they're eight and seven, correct? So while he's trying to put in a culture, they're they're not. They're not zero and five, or essentially the equivalent. Um, and they're showing signs. I, I mean, that Washington game was was not only a good win; it was really fun to watch too. Yeah. Um, and then they lay the egg at Washington State. But coming away from Washington State, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just high on all these painkillers. But <laughs> if only, if only I were Dave. And if only um, you were, but your plan hurt. Um, I still found some things in the Washington State game that I came away with that I see, I see progress. Um, Chris Smith, while he's never going to be like 
you know, a, that real go-to guy. Remember like Aaron Holiday, just give him the ball at the end of the game and he's going to win it for you or shoot that 27-footer and win. He's asserting himself more and he is starting to at least come slightly into his own, I think. They're playing overall better defense, which makes the game more watchable. Um, so they're incrementally still improving even though they collapsed at the end of that game. And I think we have to look at the season, and I wrote an article and I'm going to publish it tomorrow. I think we, you know, Mick Cronin about a month ago said that everyone's auditioning, and I, and I think it's more like a boot camp. He's just literally putting these guys through a very rigorous season of a boot camp and see which guys come out on the other end. And if some transfer, if some decide they're going pro as all, not all, but some UCLA players have done stupidly in the past, you know, good on them. Let them go. Um, if they can't take the rigors of boot camp, they don't deserve to be Mick Cronin's soldiers, right? So I I see it. I see what he's doing. I think it maybe provides a little bit of an explanation to his uh, substitution patterns and his quick hooks. It's just like, you know, when you're in boot camp, they do things just to test you that don't really make sense. And I think he's, I think he's beating them down to see who's tough enough to really step up and play his style of basketball. And I think we're going to get, I think we're going to get that this entire year right now. Um, yeah. But it'll be really interesting to see who leaves. I, I think there are going to be guys who who leave the program because of it. Yeah, and you know, honestly, like after watching the first few games, I was optimistic, and then off, watching the next few after that, I was okay. Yeah, this is a full. You know, they're going to have to really figure some stuff out this year, and it's probably not even going to be a tournament team. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of I'm fully on board with that whole idea. I have just a few kind of minor critiques um i'm a little concerned about the prince ali emphasis if that's the mentality um the whole boot camp th thing because i i, I he, he, <laughs> he's not playing mick cronin basketball um at least as i understand it by any stretch of the imagination so the prioritization for a senior in that sort of um environment is interesting um and then Obviously, um, they're not playing with a ton of confidence, um, either David Singleton or Jules Bernard, but just strictly from a youth standpoint, first, uh, not even strictly from a youth standpoint, first, they're playing better basketball than Prince Ali, even as unconfident and not doing anything on the court as they are. And second, they're sophomores. They can be part of the future. Even if Prince Ali was playing marginally better than he is, which he isn't, um, he's not going to be part of any future here. Um, because he's a redshirt senior. So that's the part where it's kind of, that's the part where I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, especially on like, you know, figuring but, out. But what's... there are, there are other elements of, of the program. Prince Ali might be, uh, you know, there might, he might be doing other things that are leading Mick to play Mick. Like we're best friends. Your coach Cronin. Yeah. Like, um, that he's doing that maybe some of the rest that the rest of them aren't, we don't know, but I, I get what you're saying completely. Yeah. Um, but, uh, his, hasn't his playing time diminished a little recently too? Yeah. He's just, uh, well, I mean, uh, honestly, 
the way he's playing right now, and I, I, I'm not even trying to be too harsh because I know like he has been one of those guys who's like trying to be more of a vocal leader and all that kind of stuff. But um, his playing time right now is is still coming in like critical moments. He's still playing in crunch time of a lot of games. He's still playing in these moments where, yeah, if you had a senior who had the savvy, who, you know, your typical senior, right? Your typical college basketball senior, the kind of guys that Cronin had at Cincinnati. Yeah, you'd want him in that spot, but that's not Prince Ali. Um, well, maybe maybe look at it from this standpoint. Like I said, you're trying to toughen up these guys. And do you really care about toughening up Prince Ali? No, but you'd like to toughen up those two sophomores and make them earn it to see if they really want to be there and whether they're going to turn themselves into players. Because uh, Jules Bernard needs to hone that game. <laughs> he needs to de- develop. He needs to, he needs to learn a lot about how to play basketball. And there's a lot of potential there for him, but maybe he's using this as a teaching tool for the guys that are going to be part of his program in a couple of years. And with Prince Ali, he doesn't necessarily, why does he need a, why does he need to, Teach well, it's it, you're teaching two ways. I mean, and look, I mean, he's a coach and I'm not, so I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to speak expertise here, but you're teaching two ways when you use the bench. When you pull a guy for a mistake, you're teaching him, okay, don't make that mistake again. But when you leave another guy in who's making the same mistakes over and over and over again, that's teaching another lesson, which isn't great. Um, and that's the part where it's, that's, and it's really that one playtime critique, which is, I don't really get what they're getting out of him. Um, and I don't really get the value of even putting him on the court. I, I get maybe pulling a guy to get him on the bench for a second and then putting in somebody. But when you then leave that guy in, you know, Ali, who's dribbling off of his foot or making a bad pass or not playing defense, I, I, don't, know if, I don't know what lesson is getting imparted there. You know, the biggest disappointment in this season, really for me is, and I, I don't want to just dump on him, but is David Singleton. We saw him last year, and I think the coaching staff has given him opportunities where, hey, show us what you can, can do, get out there, and he'll, you know, put threw up a you know a hurried air ball, or is getting beat on defense pretty badly. And I know he's probably still coming off his foot injury and everything, but. He's been – Jules Bernard is probably where I thought he'd be given last season and then coming in with a pretty tough-minded coach having to put him through his own like personal boot camp probably. But David Singleton, I'm a little – that's my biggest personnel disappointment of the, of the season so far. I thought at least by now when you're in a Pac-12 play, he would be somewhat close to the David Singleton we saw last year. And imagine if he were – if he were shooting 40% from three, that, that would make a significant difference for that offense. But yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, he, the, the thing is, I mean, what's obvious is that he's not playing with literally any confidence right now. Um, yeah. The, the way his shot has sped up, um, like even from the beginning of the year to now, like he's not even like, it's just chucking. Like he's full yeah. on just like getting it in his hands and, like it's not even a full motion. It's just like wrist flick, wrist flick, wrist flick, and he's not whatever JJ Redick who can just wrist flick it into the basket. Like you, you've got to work up to that, um, and you might not ever have that motion. He didn't have that motion last year. Um, yeah. So that's the kind of stuff where it's 
speaks to me as like, okay, that's a guy who's feeling pressure to do something out there. But the simple fact that he handles the ball a good amount of time and doesn't turn it over is by itself better than what Prince Ali is bringing to the floor right now. And that's that's the part, which is, look, David Singleton is not playing anywhere near what I was expecting him to play at this year. But I still think even playing the way he is, he's a better option than Prince Ali on the floor. Um, and that's the part where, I, again, and I, understanding all of the concerns with him, um, I'm still not quite getting the usage rate over uh, of, of Ali over that. I see that. But I think I, I do think a little bit of it is he's trying to put those two young guys through a process of of learning how of learning how to play his style and how to earn it and be tough, play defense. And, and I think seriously, it's really that he doesn't really care about doing that with Prince Ali. He's not his future. I think there's an element of that, but that's just me speculating. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. But Jaime Hawkins is still really good. Bad game against Washington State, the, but he's really good. That's, that's the best per, uh, personnel surprise of the season that you literally have discovered a four-year starter. Who's, and you can see, while maybe, you know, you can see Mick is pretty tough on guys, right? You, you obviously can see that. Yeah. It doesn't seem to bother Hawkes at all. It just rolls right off him. That, you can tell that that is a mentally tough kid. He's like, okay, yeah, bring it on, man. Yeah. Well, you can tell he's been, you can tell he's been coached in that way before. Like, you can tell he's like, oh, yeah, this is fine. Whereas, I think, and this is true for guys who've been in the program. They haven't been. I mean, right. Alford, for many of his, you know, and this might even be a negative quality, he was soft on his players um, for the most part. Like, he was a soft coach to coach to, I mean, he wasn't demanding of them um, in any real substantial way. Um, and it shows. I mean, these guys don't have, you know, a ton of that grit um, that you, I don't think it's necessary that a coach be, you know, <laughs> that verbal or whatever, but sure. it, it certainly is um, preferable to being as I don't know, laissez-faire. What? How would you describe well, Steve Alford's well, coaching style? Yeah, I like laissez-faire. I mean, uh, I, I you can't just capture it in like a couple of words. No, 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 I, no. I could write a book. But see, it. I I know this personally from. You know, we all know this. If you played any sports, you always had that coach who was somewhere along the line. You, you experienced a coach who could really be tough on you and tough on the whole team. Um, and then if you ran across another one, I mean, you were pretty prepared for it. You'd been there before. You knew what those kind of coaches are like. There are guys on this team that look like they've never experienced it before. Oh yeah, like totally. they literally went through high school, considered like a big thing and the star, and no one got in their face. Then they came to UCLA, no one got in their face. They look stunned sometimes when Mick's giving it to them, and it and it's just, I mean, they grew up, they went through a whole soft development through that in AU ball. Oh my God, just the softest environment ever. So, yeah, I mean, it's. We'll see who comes out on the other end. Um, I think now, uh, like I reported, that it doesn't look like they're going to get Joshua Christopher, that he's going to go to Michigan. 
they have two open scholarships for next year. I, I think they'll probably try to pick up some grad transfers or some guys, you know, at the end of the year, there are always coaches who leave, get fired, go someplace else. And there's guys who sign letters of intent that want to get out of them, maybe go into that market. I don't know what we'd call that market. Um, but that's probably where they'll be fishing, you know, this spring to fill out uh, those scholarships. And I would not be surprised if there are some other guys who leave. Um, no, if, so if that, this process yeah. is correct, it probably should result in a few departures. You know, like if yeah. you're running a boot yeah. camp, you're not expect you're expecting a fail rate uh, to steal yeah. a line from Jim Mora. I wonder what the fail rate is like on like mar- not not just let's go with the Marines or or the SEAL training. I mean, well, we, should call them, get, we should call them washouts then, right? There must <laughs> there must be what a twenty five percent. You would think twenty to twenty five percent, maybe. Yeah, people that drop like out that. of boot camp, a Marine boot camp, or yeah, I would bet. Yeah, um, how you feeling about our Cody Riley, Chris Smith bet right now? Our Cody Riley, I can't even remember the bet. What was the bet? That I think in a year or two's time, Cody Riley was going to be a better player than Chris Smith. I bet you that. I bet that. You bet that. No, you did. I did. It was like, yeah. Go to the tape, everyone. Go to the tape. You're making. When did I make that bet? That was like three or this four weeks year? ago. Yeah, it was when Chris Smith was having a tough time. Yeah. Uh, but did I say he'd be a more productive player this season? Or no, did I no, say... I think it was next year. Next year, he would be a more productive player. So you got time. Yeah, Cody Riley is an interesting guy because obviously it's not working right now. But there are plenty of guys. He's he's a below the rim, low post scorer. There are plenty of guys who figured that out <laughs> yeah. on the college level that still scored 15, got 15 and eight, even though they were, you know, vertically challenged. He needs to figure that out. Or, I mean, you can't, you can't talk about going pro watching that game. His only, his only chance to play professionally overseas or anything is that he figures that out. And, We'll see if he does. Um, he has a good touch around the basket, but he's he's soft going up. He doesn't use his shoulders. He doesn't use his width. He doesn't get wide, make himself bigger, and he's gonna he's going to have to physically figure that out. But no, yeah. Look, if we're talking about that bet, I really thought Chris Smith was was not going. I I talked to an AAU guy who knew him when I think he had just committed to UCLA. And he said, that kid is a huge project. And I said, well, why? I mean, tell me why. And he said, well, it's like he didn't know he could play basketball. It, it would be suddenly like if you took a 10-year-old and put him in a 17-year-old's body who's 6'8 and 210, and he's really athletic. I mean, he wouldn't know how to play, and he wouldn't know mentally – how how to prepare for a game or how to be mentally tough during a game. He's just got a really long way to go, just not only in his skills, but mentally learning how to play the game. And wow, that guy was a genius who said that to me because you can see that. He's just like, he's like a, he's like a, in big, you know, he's Tom Hanks, <laughs> adult body learning, learning, Hey, wow, I can do this, you know, and he's gaining confidence. I, 
since he's a true junior, I just, I, I was skeptical that that was ever going to happen by the time he got out of UCLA. And I'm still kind of skeptical. Um, I, that he'll go beyond what we're seeing now. And he's like 12 and seven, right? I think something like that or 12 and six. But he if he ends up that. next, he ends up next year at like, like a really confident score, you know, and he's scoring 16, <coughs> excuse me, 16 points a game. I will absolutely concede that you are the winner of that bet. I mean, I'm the winner of it right now. But yeah, <laughs> I'll be the winner of it next year too. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think the whole boot camp idea makes sense. Um, I just, you know, I got it. We got it. Look, this is this is David Singleton report online, and we've got to stand for our boy. All right. So that's just what we do. Well, it's just not that. It's like you it's know, not we just that, that, but that is a big part it's of it. Just it not, this is, is David Singleton report online. Right. D S R O. Dros. We're disro. Disro. Yeah. Um. It's a cumulative thing of BBS, as we wrote in that one article that said this that was the worst decade, and can we just put it behind us and shoot it and kill it? I mean, it's it's been, as we've written before, it's the worst time for UCLA football and basketball combined ever in its history. So it's not kind of fair to Mick Cronin in his first year. Like, we had a lot more patience with Ben Hallen in that first year, and, and they were worse if you remember, they were worse. So it, but no one has patience anymore. Uh, you can tell by the, by the forums. So Mick Cronin has, is bad timing right now to get, how would you describe the UCLA fan at this point? Disgruntled? No. Um, um, well, the gallows humor thing I think is an insight. Like I think it's, um, uh, giddy fatalism. Um, giddy fatalism. Like just oh okay. yeah, what could go wrong now? But also like a real note of like frustrated anger behind it. Um, yeah, no, there is there is an edge to it. Yeah, Absolutely. I think a Believe lot me, of people. I, I get the, a lot I of the sentiment of I'm getting old. I don't have much time left with this. When are you going to be good again? There's it's kind a lot of true. Of it's I and that I think is so valid because I personally completely relate. 100%. You, you little slappy, what are you, 34 years old? I was old two months old the last time UCLA won a Rose Bowl. See, so you don't even know it. I I mean, I graduated in the early 80s. They were going to Rose Bowls like it was candy. It was nothing. They were winning Rose Bowls. It was nothing. You know, it's just... How I'm many Rose 34 Bowls years old. I was two months old when they last won a Rose Bowl. <laughs> I know it's and people occasionally put up those posts that say to all you I think I think Monty well I shouldn't give away his everyone knows his name hit it long will occasionally put up a post that says to all you guys who don't know what it was like when UCLA was good yeah <laughs> uh, yeah mm-hmm. but but Let's... I like I, I agree with that just before I die right yeah not one year or two years. We want an era. We want a golden, like, how long has Stanford been good in football? Like six years. About six, okay. Something like that. Six to eight years of good football. That's fine. I don't, I don't even, I, basketball will happen. 
because it's UCLA basketball. I, I really believe. I'll even Mick take. Curry, I'll even take a Mora esque run that lasts for like twice as long. Like it does. You okay. don't even win yeah. a Rose Bowl. I don't give. I, honestly, just be good and kind of fun to watch for a while. That's fine. just some ten win seasons. Yeah, right? just I, I've got really low expectations at this point. Just be like kind of interesting, something that like it doesn't hurt to watch. Like it doesn't like actually like, and I don't mean hurt like oh this is emotionally, but like oh my eyes are hurting because this is so bad. Um, don't be like that anymore. And I'm talking <laughs> about you, football program, more than anything. The Cronin yes. stuff, honestly, even with as like kind of ugly as some of these games have gotten, I'm still interested because it's new, I guess, and so like seeing how they're using personnel is still kind of interesting. Um, yeah, football's just bad. Like it's so boring and bad, and I just don't want to watch that anymore. So could you not do that anymore? That's why, like, I'm half joking about the triple option. Run the damn triple option. I'll watch that. That's cool. See, see how these guys funny. translate to the triple. That'd be cool. That's really funny how how you see. To me, what can make anything watchable is if you play good defense. That makes even a mediocre. I, I've offense, given up on that though. <laughs> yeah, that's probably something to give up on. Yeah. Like the most beautiful game I remember seeing in the last twenty years. It was we've talked about it before. That Howland basketball game at Washington State. What was it like? I think it was to, 15, fifty to thirty. <laughs> oh my. god. God, that was the most fun game to watch. I've rewatched that game. I had it on tape. No, but it's even beyond that. Reading the Dick Bennett quotes after that game was even better. Like it was just like, yeah, they 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 crushed the life out of us. Like just Uh, fully just destroyed our will to live. That was the most impressive defensive performance I've ever seen. It was just all stuff like that. It was like, wow, this is so cool. So cool. And that makes it all watchable to me. The thing that kills me is when you see guys just not playing defense just on you know football or basketball and they're just sitting there not giving an effort and and the other team is just walking through you that's where it just seems I become defeatist at that point. I just need some defense to keep me watching. I just need something, man, just something. Like this offense is bleh. the defense is atrocious. Just do something. You know, and I'm talking about football again. I know it's after football season, but come on, seven and seventeen. It doesn't. Need so to be what like do you, this. what do you think? We've got six months. Six months until football season. Four and eight. No, I'm not. God, <laughs> you just jumped way ahead. <laughs> what is going to? What is it going to take to get fans, even uh, to give Chip Kelly enough? I mean, right now you'd say it's what about ninety percent to ten percent of fans pro kelly and yeah every and negative every Kelly's. like poll i've seen like i know there was somebody on the board this week who posted a poll and had like a few hundred responses and it was like that it was like 90 10 um, so what is it that's going to give people in their mind that, to give chip kelly a, a, another chance it would have to be it's results I mean, on the field like it has to be no no, no i mean in the next six months to give him another chance for the 2020 season it would have to be changes on the staff, specifically the defensive staff. Yeah, right? the, I, I think if – so I don't think it gets anyone back to believing. I think now third year, it's prove it. You got to do it on the field. But I think right. what the, 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 the move you make at this point – like I'm not trying to – I don't want to – I don't want to denigrate anybody personally. I'm a nice guy. 
But the change that gets made at this point, two years yeah. into a horrible defense, is that you get a new defensive staff. Like, that's the change everybody makes. That's the sport. Part of this sport is playing games on the field. The other part of the sport is firing coaches and getting new coaches in. Um, every other school does it after they have a couple of horrible years on one side of the ball. UCLA's hasn't done that yet. Um, so that's definitely something that would certainly instill a little bit more fan. Okay, maybe quiet the unrest a little bit. But I, I don't know if they're interested in doing that. And frankly, I don't know how much of that is, you know, when that happens. Some of it's PR, you know, because it's just, oh, we're going to make a change just to show we're making a change. Um, but there is some reality that, like, yeah, maybe you need to go hire somebody better who's running a more innovative scheme. Um, and so, yeah, I think that would certainly help to quiet the unrest. But I think the only thing that's changed in that 90-10 equation in any real way, I think by the time the season comes around, it'll be like 75, 25. Cause people, you know, always get more optimistic heading into a season. Um, but the only thing that's really going to change it is whether or not they are considerably better next year. And I'm not talking six and six, like they need to be nine and three next year. I think to really change the tone, I don't think like making a bowl game is really going to change the complexion of, you know, the fan base and the, the perception of the program. Um, they need to I be would good say, next year. I would say eight wins would be the minimum of what it would take to to really get people turned around. I think that would most, change most it to people. like 50-50 for sure. Um, I'm talking about if you want to get people bought in at a considerable rate again, like That's they need nine. to be competing for the South. Like they need to be in it um, yeah. to the end. Hey, and uh, you just prematurely threw out your prediction for this – It'll change I mean, a few times over the off season. Um, right okay. now, I, I'd be, I, I, I mean, I, I doubt. I mean, uh, who knows? Who knows with the way I change over the summer? But um, I, I don't know. I have some real trouble I, thinking about these schemes winning more than six games. That's that's a real trouble spot for me. I have trouble with it also, but I'm just saying. We need to keep some bullets in our gun here for another broadcast. You know, we've got six months here, Dave. I mean, it's going to change in every broadcast. Next week, it'll be like three and nine. The week after that, it'll be like eight and four. Who knows? Okay, fine. As long as you you can keep us entertained. That's all I care. All that matters. Okay. I hope that was entertaining. Yeah. I hope you're feeling better. Um, You know, it's, it's you toughed it out. You did a great job. Thank you. I stood the whole time. Wow. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, in pain, I'm David Woods, not in pain. Bruin Report Online. We'll talk to you again next time. To all the Bruin fans out there, in pain, we'll talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, y'all. See ya.